seated, but we are going to stand up in just a moment of time to, uh, to pray over the, the word of the Lord here. But I want to ask you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. If you've been coming over the last several weeks, you know that I preached a series of messages during the Christmas season concerning the light. I'm not, uh, I concluded that series this past uh, Sunday right before Christmas, and I felt like I was able to isolate myself, get alone, come to the church on Friday, spend some time preparing my heart for this message. And I believe the Lord directed me to a familiar passage of Scripture to draw attention to one verse that I'm going to extract um, the direction I'm going to take you on today and perhaps in the weeks ahead. But let's read this. It's, it's the entire chapter of, of 2 Timothy, and it's only 17 verses. And though I'm going to be focusing on one verse, I just feel like it's important to understand the context in which the apostle is writing here in the, verse, in the first verse. Now, it says, Know also, this is chapter 1 of the third chapter of 2 Timothy. And Paul, as he writes to Timothy, who he knows and uh, alludes to as his beloved son, that's the depth of their relationship. Um, historians tell us that Paul writes this epistle from most probably a Roman jail uh, just perhaps weeks, months prior to his death at the hands of Nero, Caesar. Um, and so t this particular epistle is filled with much emotion and the depth of the relationship. Paul is anticipating the, the, the time of his demise. He says that in the fourth chapter. But he gives Timothy some exhortation. He uses a familiar phrase, last days. Last days can have different connotations. It could be applicable immediately to the time that Paul is living in. The last days of uh, Judaism. The last days of uh, the worship uh, of God through the means of the temple. It can also be applicable to the last days, speaking of a generation alive at the return of Christ. But, so we can extract from it a warning. Paul said, perilous times shall come. A time of difficulty. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Then he begins to describe what life can look like during this little window described as the last day. Certainly you'll see some of this in the culture in which you live today. Men will be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Paul then described even the religious, um, what the religious appearance would have and what it would look like. He said they will have a form of godliness. So they'll have the, the, the appearance of men and women that are uh, lovers of God, but in essence they are not. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They deny the power of godliness. From such, Paul warns, turn away. For of this sort of they which creep into houses and lead captive, silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts. He talks about adultery and things. And then he says, he describes them as ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And now he contrasts these that he mentions as living in the last days of whatever that last days in the right and the fullest application of. He says there are comparable, in essence, to Janice and Jambres. These were the two magicians that withstood Moses when he went into Pharaoh's court and requested that Pharaoh release the Israelites out of bondage. He said, these also resist the truth. I mean, you know there's a conflict for truth in our culture today. There's a conflict, and, and he said there's a, a resistance. These are men of corrupt minds, the reprobate concerning the faith. He said, but that they shall proceed no further. Paul said he's, he's believing for a moment when their folly is going to be revealed. 
You know, I've been preaching to you out of the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter about where it says the light. All things that are going to be exposed are made manifest by the light. And so he said the, their folly is going to be exposed as theirs was also. And then in the 10th verse, you see a very dramatic shift from a, a general uh, condition of the culture to, in which Paul is directing, uh, you know, the attention of young Timothy to personally. So now he's saying, but, but, but he said, but Timothy, no matter with all this mess that's going on, he said, but I want to give you something that you need to look at. And I want to give you something to remind you of, to help you endure these dark days, to help you make it through, help you to maintain your spiritual vibrancy. And how many know that's very important? That you got to keep the fire burning. The fire on the altar of ancient Israel was to never go out. If you stop standing up for the truth, who is? Right? If the moment that you become muted because of the cultural uh, um, pressure upon you, then who's going to know? Who's going to share with people the power and the love of God through Christ and the truth of the Scriptures? So he said, but Paul, Paul said to Timothy, he said, but you have known fully my doctrine. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. My manner of life, my purpose, my faith, seven things, long-suffering, my charity, my patience. And then he even says, and let me remind you of, of the persecutions and the afflictions that came upon me because of what I've preached at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. And if you go back and read the book of Acts, you can follow that narrative that many times Paul faced severe persecution. You and I think we're persecuted when we don't get a close parking lot spot in Walmart or in the church parking lot. Right? We think that's somehow uh, persecution. But we're talking, did you know this past week while we were celebrating our uh, Christmas, did you know there were 10 uh, Nigerians that lost their life? Christians, Nigerian Christians beheaded at the hand of, uh, of ISIS, uh, 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 you know, just evil men uh, in the same context of what Paul, evil men. And so persecution, we, we live in a, a, a troublesome time. The, the church in America for a long time, it seemed to me, and I've been a part of this church now for 40-something years following the maturation of Pentecost. We, we thought for a while that we were insulated. God was going to protect America from any type of person. But, you know, that's not the truth, right? Because there's an agitation in our culture because I preached to you several weeks ago that the Bible says light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So Paul here is warning Timothy, and he's saying, look, I endured. I made it through. It wasn't easy. Did you know at one of these places, they actually stoned the apostle Paul, took him outside the city and left him for dead. But God raised him up. So God, he said, but God delivered me. And then look at the 12th verse. And all, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. Hello? I could preach right there, couldn't I? Right? If we're living godly, you can expect that there's going to be some level of persecution in our lives. And then he said, evil men and seducers are going to wax, which means grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But then he says again, but you continue, Timothy, in your grow classes. You continue to be faithful to the house of God. Timothy, you continue in the things that you've learned and you have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. And he's reminding them about his own self because he said, he said, my manner of life, to which I'm not going to allude more fully today, but maybe later. And then he said, and from a child, look at this, 15th verse, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Thank God for the Word of God. We'll talk about that in a moment. Which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Then in the latter two verses, he said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man, the woman of God, might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And everybody said amen. Stand up with me real quickly. We're going to pray. Draw your attention to the 10th verse, the 10th verse. As Paul shifted from a general consensus of the things that were going to happen in time that he alluded to as the last days, but he said, but Timothy, let me remind you, you have fully known my doctrine. We're going to draw our attention to those two words, my doctrine, my doctrine. Let's think about that as we pray. Father, it's already been prayed in this house that preaching would come easy, and I want to join my agreement with those words today. Lord, let our hearts be prepared to receive the grafted word of God. And I pray, Lord, today that you would put truly a sacred anointing upon my head. Every apprehension that I have, every distraction within my own mind can somehow be pushed out of the way. And there'll be clarity of thought and there'll be ease in communication of the Word of God today. Father, I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. And you can be seated. You know, this is my last Sunday to be able to preach to you in the calendar year 2020. And uh, it's certainly not a vision-casting service in any such thing. We are going to talk about some new things in, in, the, in the months, ahead, the weeks ahead as we jump into the calendar year. But at the same time, it is a little bit of a reflection. It's a pondering. I want to share with you, I found myself searching my own uh, life in my own personal time of, of prayer, asking the Lord some questions. And I want to begin to talk about this phrase, my doctrine. I'm going to tell you where I found my, the Lord leading me to. And I, I really pray sincerely in my own personal prayer time that God leads me in my sermon preparation. Now, if you've never ministered the Word of God, maybe you don't understand fully what I mean by that. And I can't perhaps even explain it to you in such a way, but those that have ever communicated the Word, perhaps you, you know more clearly what I'm talking about, that there is a a gazillion things. I know you won't find that word in the Webster Dictionary, but you know what I mean. There's a gazillion things that I can talk about on a Sunday morning. There's a, there, there are a number of things. But at the same time, I want what does the Father. I believe every time we come together, God has a word. I just believe that, that God quickens a word and shares that word. And as my pastor, Pastor Burton, used to say, pastors, he said, it's got to burn in you before it can burn in someone else. So I've got to get alone with God and lay my head. And here's how I pray. I'm just, today's a very transparent day for me today. As I'm closing off the calendar year, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, unveil some things about my own personal life. But I, but I pray this, this way. I say, Father, let me lay my head on the bosom of your son. Now, you know I'm trained in King James English. And so when I say that, my mind is drifting to the, the, the final night of the supper uh, of the, of the, that Jesus shared with his disciples. And the gospel record is, is that John pillowed his head on the bosom of Christ. And when I say that, what I'm saying is, Lord Jesus, let me hear your heartbeat. Let me hear your heartbeat. And then I add to it and I say, the anointing. See, then I go back to Psalm 133. Psalm 133 gives us the picture of Aaron the priest, who is also a forerunner of Jesus Christ because he's our great priest today and the Bible says that there was an oil that was poured on the head of Aaron the priest and it flowed from his head onto his shoulders and all the way down to his garment and so even on his beard it dripped on his beard it would have flowed right there and so I always pray this way I say Lord and while I've got my head pillowed on your bosom I pray that the very anointing of God that was on Jesus Christ 
will drip. If there's but one drop, will drip from his beard and on my head. And then when I stand in front of people, I'll have more than a sermon, but I'll have an anointing upon my life. I have the power and the presence of God, and I'll be able to speak with a boldness and with a clarity. And, and that's, so that's a little bit of a transparent window in how I prepare myself to stand in front of you each and every Sunday. And when I do so, I want to share with you something. If I ever find myself feeling insignificant, and I'm not somebody that wrestles with insignificance and with some of the, the issues that some people do, and I'm not trying to say that in a, in a little... I found out who I was in Jesus a long time ago. And I found out that it ain't the man in the mirror that identifies me, but my identity's in Christ. And my calling is in him. And I usually find myself that when the enemy, it's usually the enemy launching darts. It's usually the enemy belittling me. It's usually the enemy pulling me down. And it's God that's lifting me up. But that doesn't mean that I'm not beyond. Some moments in my life where I feel like, man, I just, you know, one of the things that about me personally is I am not a very creative person. I just don't have a lot. There are people, I stand in, in amazement of people that are extremely creative. They have artistic element to themselves, not only just in, in, uh, in, 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 in areas outside the church, but within the church. And, and just for me personally, I'm just not. I'm not creative in, in a lot of areas. I, don't, I really am not into decor. I, I mean, I'm just not. I'm not into a lot of uh, flamboyant things in the church. I'm not into a lot of special services. I know I disappoint some folks because of that, but I just, I'm not. I'm into coming to church with my heart ready to be in the presence of God. I'm ready to hear a word from God. I'm just a little bit different. And so when, sometimes when I put myself in comparison to others that have such creative gifted, I feel a little bit shallow, but especially some of the newer uh, ministers and, and ministries, they're so creative, and it's, it, it's powerful, and I thank God for that. But at the same time, you know what I want to put you in today is my doctrine. These are the things that are deeply woven into my person and my personality. So if you are a part of First Assembly, these are things that are a part. That every message that I preach, you're going to get a little bit of this in the, in the message. There's going to be a little bit of it woven. I'll give you an example. I asked the Lord for a little bit of a natural example. How many of you have a few favorite spices that you cook with? And then it doesn't matter what you cook with, cook, you're cooking. You're going to reach out there. I remember years ago, my mom and dad didn't share it. didn't have a lot of, uh, we just kind of lived with salt and pepper. That was kind of it. As a young boy growing up, I can remember when Sherry and I first discovered Cavender's Greek seasoning. We just didn't, we didn't know. I mean, we didn't know a hamburger could taste so good. And then we found something called garlic mixed with pepper. And so every, to this very day, if you come over to our house to eat, I'm telling you, you're going to find a little garlic pepper. Well, now we've become fans, I have, of Tony's, uh, you know, Louisiana season. So it, spaghetti, chili, doesn't matter, beef jerky, I'm going to have a little bit of it in there. reason why I brought, said that in, in, in comparison, every time I preach, no matter what subject, there's going to be a little bit of this flavor in the, in the, in the message. There's going to be a little bit of it. So I, Paul said, this is my doctrine. He was telling Timothy, he was saying, Timothy, he said, I want to remind you of my doctrine. Well, what was the doctrine that Paul held so closely? What was the revelation that God gave him? He was the apostle to the Gentiles. It was the doctrine of grace. Anybody that studies the New Testament can see that Paul had greater revelation about the grace of God than even John or Peter or James or any of the apostles who walked with Jesus during, their ministry, during his ministry. 
So what about me? Let me go ahead and draw this out and share with you some things I'm going to share real quickly. Number one, you say, well, Pastor, I already know this, but the Scriptures. What do you mean by that? The Scriptures. Later at the end of this passage there it read, Paul told Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. So I believe in the Word of God. I believe in those 66 books that's contained in one canon that's in your lap. And I believe that it is the life of God that's been captured on parchment and that it's alive today. I believe it's more alive than you and I are. I believe that the world one day will be faded away and the heavens will be reconstructed. But let me tell you today, this Word will not pass away. It's eternal. It's living. And it contains the mind of God, the life of God, the power of God, the anointing of God, the grace of God. I wouldn't know about God. He'd be hidden in obscurity behind a veil if it wasn't for the scriptures but when I open the word of God face to face I come into the presence of a living God and there I can learn about him know about him and he can speak to my life and I believe that I believe in the preaching of the word the teaching of the word and the reading of the word of God man shall not live by bread alone but man shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God I can wage my warfare with the scriptures I can draw a word and fight off every devil in hell I can speak the word over my family and my home and my children I can stand on the word when I don't know what else to do I stand left foot right foot shoulder square head up high standing on the word of God I believe that and every message that I preach is woven into the fragrance, the flavor of it is that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce to the dividing asunder, soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. God can direct my past. God speaks more clearly to me by the Word of God than anything else. I hear His voice. I hear his voice, not usually in my consciousness. I'm not one as much that stands up here and says, man, I heard God say this, or I had a vision or a dream. I don't say that very often, but I can tell you when I get alone, and I'm alone with God, I can hear his voice in his word, and every sermon that I preach that's going to be in there somewhere, somewhere it's going to be a little bit of that fragrance or that flavor. Number two, I believe today, this is my doctrine, this is what I believe, this is the things that I want you to know, I believe in the word of faith. Some of you say, I don't even know what that is, I just believe, I believe in what's called a quickened word, what does that mean? That means that this word, we call it the logos, it's the canon of scripture, it's, the, it's Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, but at the same time, I believe in a rhema word, a rhema is where the spirit of the Lord quickens the word inside you. And when God gives you a quickened word, then you alter your life to that word. You believe in that word. You hold fast to it. The word of faith is found in Romans chapter number 10. Paul said this. He said, the word of faith is near you. It's in our heart and it's in our mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. I believe that when God gives you a word of faith, you hold on to it. You believe in it. You trust in it. You trust that God will honor his word. That his word will not come back to him void, but will accomplish everything just exactly as he said, if God gives you a promise by a word of faith, then you hold on to it. You confess it. You speak it. You declare it. No matter what the circumstance is around you. If you're sick, he said you're healed. If you're broke, God says you're prosperous. If you're down, God says you're up. If your heart and your hands are, are heavy laden, God said, lift up your eyes into the hills from whence cometh your help. I just believe when God gives you a word, a word of faith, then it's your responsibility to hold it, believe in it, and Speak it out. Speak it out loud in your home and over your family. Number three, I believe today 
And my doctrine, these are things, this is the spice, this is the flavor of my sermon every time you come into this house. I believe the Spirit of God reveals the truth of the Scriptures. Here I say it, the anointing. What do you mean by that? I've shared with you very, very plainly that I recognize I believe in formal education. I believe in the study uh, through institutions and Christian education. And I believe in colleges and the many ways that we have to formally educate ourselves. But I've shared with you that for whatever reason, I was in the Air Force and I did not choose that direction. Maybe there's regret at times that I didn't choose that direction. But I was 17 years old, 18 years old. And in my study, I found a verse of Scripture that altered my life. It was in Ephesians, the first chapter. It's not for me alone, but it was quickened in my heart. It became rhema to me. It'll be nothing more than just a verse to you, but unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. But in that passage, verses 16 through 23, Paul is, is writing to the church at Ephesus. And here's what he said. He said, when I'm remembering you in my prayer. I'm going to paraphrase the 16th verse. He said, I'm remembering you in prayer, and I've been praying for you. Talking about the people at Ephesus. And he said, I pray, this is what he said in the 17th verse. I pray that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Think about that with me. Let's stop. I pray, here's an apostolic prayer. that He said, I pray God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding will become enlightened. And you may know the hope of his calling. And the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. And so as I began to receive that as a young man, I began to pray. And then I found 1 John 2 and 27. And in 1 John 2 and 27, the apostle John said, The anointing teaches you all things. The anointing of God. So I want you to know today, I believe in lecturers, and I believe in professors, and I believe in formal education. But as far as I'm concerned, the greatest communicator of truth today is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force that's floating through the atmosphere like the wind. But he's dwelling on the inside of me right now. He's quickening the word, revealing the word. And in my prayer time, I can agitate that gift on the inside of me. And I can say, Father, I want to ask you to illuminate the word of God. Reveal to me the word. You can be taught of God. You can be, as I call myself, uneducated but not ignorant. You can know the word of God. You can know the truth. God will reveal it to you. Ephesians 3 and 1, Paul said this, I pray when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. You can be like I am and say, well, I'm educated in the world's educational system or the church's educational system, but I'm not ignorant to the truth of God. You've got the greatest tool, the greatest resource. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in it today. And if you're coming to First Assembly, every sermon, let me tell you, every sermon that you hear has been because somebody here agitates that gift. We don't carbon copy. I don't download my sermons from sermon.com. I don't get them from headquarters or from a church elsewhere. I go into a mine, and there with a pickaxe, I lay my head on the bosom of Jesus. There with a the pickaxe, I begin to dig out of the wall, and I say, God, give me gold. Give me silver. Give me rubies. Give me diamonds. Give me something of texture, something of value, something that, that will promote the life of Jesus in the life of the individual. It takes the anointing of God, church family. And you can have that same anointing. You have if you receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you're His, you stir it up in faith. You believe in stirring up the gift of God? I do. Number four. This is what makes a lot of folk nervous around here. 
I'm preaching myself happy. I know that's an old way of saying things. I'm kind of one of those preachers today in this contemporary shift that we have in the church. I got one foot in the old way of doing things and one foot in the new way of doing things. But let me just say this today. I believe in audible prayer. Man, I helped share that with this staff years ago, and I saw their prayer life change. I saw it many years ago. Jesus said, when you pray, say. Verbalize. Get alone in prayer. That's why the old Hebrew people used to wear a prayer shawl. That way they could still pray quietly, but they would also pray openly, and they could pray audibly. I believe in verbalizing, speaking. The world themselves were framed by what the Word of God. I'm to speak life. I'm to declare life. I'm to make my petition known. I'm to cry out to God. I'm to lift up my voice. The Bible exhorts you. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up thy voice. Make thy petition known, the Lord says. You've got to be ver- verbent, uh, uh, vocal, excuse me, and vibrant, and you've got to be fervent in prayer. And speak out the word of God. Challenge yourself today. You say, Pastor, I'm a passive person. I'm a quiet. So am I. You don't know me that well. Some of you think I'm a, I'm a passive. Did you know my name means uh, dweller in the meadow? I could just move in the meadow and just live out there quiet. Me and my wife sharing we could watch the sun come up and come down and never bother anybody and be alone and be contented but there's a burning fire shut up on the inside of me called the word of God and I want to share with you what I believe and that is a belief in the power of prayer but you got to open your mouth up speak life and declare the word of God I also believe it's a tag team with this I believe in praying in the spirit and yes we are Pentecostal and we're unashamed of it and yes, every now and then, if you come down for altar prayer, you're going to hear somebody praying Shatakaya Mosia. Somebody's going to be talking in a language that you don't know, but don't be afraid of it. Matter of fact, get over by them because what they got might get over on you, and it will radically change your life. will radically change your ability to pray. You'll build up your most holy faith as you pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're looking forward to, Pastor Jace has already shared, the Wednesday nights, which are going to try to give greater opportunity for the prayer altar to be made a place where you're familiar with. Well, that's right. I heard it from three preachers and the rest. Yep, that's all right. But that's our job to lead them, isn't it? That's why sheep still need a shepherd. Number five today, just remember, this is my doctrine. Every time you come here and you're a part of this assembly, woven into, this is the fragrance, this is the, this is the, the, the garlic and the pepper. I know some of you are thinking, I'm going to try that. Yeah, yeah, you need to. Your life will be changed. It's not good for smooching, but it's good for dinner. Now, this one's one I got, I won't take a lot of time, but I have to explain. This is just something I believe that you and I as New Testament believers were grafted into the olive tree. And I don't know, see, some people don't even know what we're talking about by that. But I, if you come to this church long enough, you will, because we're going to slowly take you. But in Romans chapter number 11, in the 17th verse, the Apostle Paul, alluding to the Gentiles that had believed, and he spoke of the Jewish believers who believed, not the Jews who didn't believe. And I won't go into all the details of, of that difference between, there's a, there's a difference between just being a Jew and being a Jew who believes in Christ. There is. And we won't dialogue that today. But at the same time, Paul said, we were grafted in to the olive tree. And then listen to what he said. He said, and we draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. 
Now, some of you are like, Pastor, I don't even know what that means. See, that tree represented Israel. And see, when you say Israel, many of you think about the Jewish people. But that's not necessarily the case. It's speaking of, listen, that first promise is to Jesus. I'm just going to be honest. Israel, my son, Jesus. And all the inheritance of Abraham are those that are in Christ Jesus, whether you're Jew or whether you are Gentile. And so you and I get to draw from the covenant promises that God made to his people, you are the people of God. Let me tell you, I believe with all my heart that if you're genuinely born again, you are the people of God. And you are heirs to the covenant promises of Israel. And so you and I have a right to stand in the presence of God. That we have a right to petition him based upon covenant promises. Now, the reason why I, I like to teach about these things is because you've got to know what you believe, and you've got to know why you believe it, and you've got to be able to make petition to God based upon the knowledge He's given to you. So I want you to know, if your child is sick and you're praying for healing, it shouldn't be just in hope, but it ought to be in faith. It ought to be in faith because you ought to say, it's the children's bread. Wait just a minute. Let me give you an example of that. Some of you are looking at me dumbfounded. But you remember when the woman came to Jesus, she was called a Syrophoenician woman. She was a Gentile woman that came out of Lebanon and Syria and that region north of Israel. But she had heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus and she came to Jesus and she said, Jesus, will you heal my daughter? she's, She's vexed with a devil. And Jesus said, it's not right. Listen, that we take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And you remember what happened in that exchange of words and how that she caught the Lord's attention and she drew from him grace. And she said, Lord, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he said, woman, because of this thy faith, he said, the demon's gone out of your daughter. She made her way back to the, her home, opened the door, and the daughter that was pr- previously climbing on the wall, scratching and yelling and screaming, tormented by a demon, has got dinner prepared. Glory to God. Because of the Spirit of God that was on Jesus. Well, listen to what he said. It's the children's bread. Healing's the children's bread. We're children of God. The provision of God's the children's provision because we are heirs of God. Come on, somebody. Blessing in your home. The favor of God. Your house ought not be a place of contention and strife and and backbiting and hatred. It ought to be a place of prosperity and favor and grace and goodness and the love of God. Because you're grafted into the olive tree. Every Every time I preach, there's a little bit of that flavor. There's a little bit of that flavor woven in. Sixth thing. This one's one Sister Sherry might need to go start the vehicle on. But I want to explain it, because yes, on the surface, it looks like I am a sexist. And yes, I am. Hopefully, in the right biblical interpretation. But let me say this very carefully. I believe in male leadership in the church and in the home. I do believe that. I believe Paul carefully explains this. This is in no wise in any attempt to degrade or pull down women. This is saying to the men, it's our job as servant leaders to elevate those that God's put around us. We're servant leaders in the church, and we're servant leaders in our home. I believe in a father's blessing. I'm just telling you, I know why am I trying to take, I don't believe in limiting women. I believe in women in ministry. Two of my daughters have preached on this platform. 
I, I was very much a responsible party of helping Alicia be uh, who she is up in, in Shirley. I believe in women in ministry at different types and shades. But with all that, nothing takes the, the place of a spiritual father. Just like nothing takes the place of a paternal father. Hello, I know the culture says we don't need men anymore. That's why I'm telling you that is a diabolical lie of the enemy that's trying to destroy the home. He, I'm just going to speak it whether y'all shout me down or not. And, and that's why there's such confusion in our culture. And that's why some are, are uh, you know, growing up and they don't know who they are because they don't have a father over them speaking the life of God and the blessing of God over them. The Bible uh, plainly says to who? To raise up their children in the fear and the admonition of the, the father. The father, the responsibility. Paul said, and fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. Bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And men oftentimes have failed and ladies have had to endure the responsibility and a burden on their shoulder that they were never called to bear. And if ever I pray for an agitation in this church, I pray for men to rise up and say, I'm going to be the man of God that God's called me. Here's how I bless. Man, I'm going to tell you. Here, I did it this morning. I'll do it again tomorrow. I say these words. I say, Father, I bless Sherry. She's a fruitful vine by the side of my house. And my children are as of olive plants round about my table. I bless Sherry. I bless Ashley. I bless Amber. I bless Anthony. I bless Austin. I bless Aaron. I bless Alyssa. I bless Matt, Malachi. I bless Anna, Elizabeth. I bless Elaith, Emily, Lauren, Lara, Declan, and Benaiah. And now an unborn baby, Olivia. And I speak the life of God over them. And I challenge every man under the sound of my voice be that servant leader I've told you for the time I've been the pastor be the first one up in the morning and the last person down at night and speak life over your family and you'll see your family begin to blossom and every sermon that I preach every sermon's going to have that inside it somewhere is going to be the fragrance of it and I believe if we could ever see that we would see the blessing of God on our homes we would see a generation rise up that knows how to hand the blessing of God to the next generation. And lastly today, number seven, before we take communion, I believe in the church, and I believe in corporate worship. Wow, y'all missed a great place to say amen. <laughs> you think that y'all would agree you're here. You chose to be here today. Corporate worship. Pastor, I can worship God at home. I know you can, and you better. But there's nothing like, there's nothing like being underneath. And I believe that. I believe that pastorally. It's our responsibility. That's why they call us overseers. Overseers in the Lord. Everybody needs a pastor. Everybody needs a fellowship. Everybody needs a moment where you get, come on. I, I believe in Hillsong, Elevation, Bethel, all that. But I'll take the bearded psalmist and his wonderful worship team any day, first and foremost, of the fragrant anointing that's in their life to create for me an opportunity that I can stand right here at the front of this church and I can lift up my hands and I can say, God, it's well with my soul. Joe can then come up and exhort and say, you know, I don't care where your week's been good, bad, high, low, tough, whether you got everything you wanted for Christmas or nothing, it doesn't matter, it's well with your soul. 
right? That's a gift from God. It takes people coming together. And, and, and I encourage you, every person and every believer should consider the sermon and the message as sacred and the time of worship as a gift. During this time, God awakens gifts inside us. Do you know that? God's awakening. He's sharpening you. That's what this time is so important. You know, one reason why there's a lot of dullness in Christianity today, there's a lot of dullness in Christianity because we don't sharpen each other through the tool of corporate worship effectively enough. You know, as a pastor, I started this message. I said, you know, I struggle in creativity and design, planning, and packaging for worship services, but I still have an instinctive desire inside my heart to preach, teach, prophesy, Pray under the anointing of God. The flare of this church may never flame as high as other churches in this community, but if it has the fragrance of the seven things, or, the, or if it has the flavor of the seven things that I mentioned previously in this message, then I one day can stand before God and say, God, I gave everything that I had, and I believe it was the right thing for First Assembly of God. I believe in corporate worship that together we can glorify God and edify one another today. And did you know one of the great tools that we have as a fellowship in order to glorify God and unite together with men and women of like precious faith is through the means of communion. You believe that today? I believe that. Communion. Just the very word itself speaks of fellowship, doesn't it? It speaks that we have communion, fellowship with the body of Christ. Not just his broken body, but with this body here today. And so here in just a moment of time, and I'm going to go ahead and as our heads are bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. I want to give an opportunity here real quickly. And I know I've preached a very transparent and a very pastoral message in front of you today, and I do not apologize. You're here to this, in this house today, and you've come out. I don't know the heart of every person, but I know this. God took a rooster, and it crowed, and it awakened Peter to the need to repent in his life. And the message that I preach to you today, the message that I preach may have led someone here today Say, I want to repent of my sins and seek the Lord in a way that's fresh and new. So I want to give you that opportunity right now before uh, anybody joins. Are you coming up? Aaron Aaron's going to join me on the worship team, and we're going to begin to prepare for communion. If you're here today and you just say, Pastor, I, you know, the exhortation was call on the name of the Lord. Just call on his name right now, right where you're at, as people are praying around you. This is your moment. This is your moment. If you don't know the Lord or if you have known him in the past, but at, right now you just feel like you're far from the Lord, then repent. Confess your sins. Repentance is not a bad thing. It's the gift of God. God allows you to, to, to repent, to come back to him. Return to the Lord. And you'll find healing and mending in your heart and your life in the name of Jesus. And so I want to just encourage you. Say, Pastor, how? how? That you just come to him in humility and say, Father, I've sinned. And I just need you to wash me and cleanse me today. Today, I believe in you, and I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I believe today in the person of Jesus Christ. I believe in his death, burial, and his resurrection. I put all my faith and my hope in him today. And I'll tell you what, if you do that, you'll be saved. Did you hear me today? Uh, Billy Graham's gone on to be with the Lord, and now his son, Franklin, preaches in his stead. But he could be here today, and Franklin, with what, what means to lead you to Christ any more than what I just did, and that's simply trust in Jesus as your Savior. Look to him today. Last Sunday, 2019, 
let, let the beginning of 2020 be the greatest you've ever known because you've made a new commitment to Christ in your life to follow him and to be all that God's called you to be. Just look to him today. I've, I've tried to show you how simple, call on his name. That's what the, Paul wrote, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So today, Father, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's praying that prayer right now, I pray, God, let the angels of God rejoice. Let the angels of God rejoice. Father God, as a name is written down in Lamb's book of life, and we're so grateful for that opportunity to be able to know Jesus. Here's what I'd like for you to do, if you would, with me very quickly. In a moment's time, we're going to begin to share these communion emblems. And I know it's the, the, the phone is already beeped. It's 12 noon. We're going to, the service is going to go a little bit farther because we've got communion. And I'm going to ask a couple of, uh, two or three of our deacons that might be here in the sanctuary and with me to join me right here. And what we're going to do is we're going to invite you forward. We're going to put one here, and if we can, one right here and one there. And we're going to invite you forward, take of your emblems, and then you can turn around. And I'd like to keep you as close to the front as I can. Now, if you just can't, you know, we can push back. And if you need to be seated, then go back to a seat and be seated. Please be seated. I don't want you uh, there and not being capable of standing for 10 or 15 minutes because it might take that long to get everybody served. But did you know Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthians about communion, he said, wait for one another. Wait for one another. Listen, this is not Burger King today. This, this, this shouldn't be where you're in the line and there's two people in front of you and you're hitting the horn because you're thinking this is the fast food line. I want to get in and get out. This is the Lord's table. Wait on one another. Wait on, receive these emblems. Our church does not practice what's called a closed communion. You do not have to be a member of this assembly. But we will, we will challenge every person to search their heart. Did you hear that? We will challenge every person, from me to JoJo to all leaders to every person. There's no greater place for self-examination than in communion. Correct? So just let that be known. I'm not going to stand here and I'm not going to ask for a membership card for you to receive communion. But I will say this, again, search your heart today. Search your heart. Don't, don't, don't. If there's sin, you need to repent of sin. Communion is the great place to say, God, help me. And then take of those emblems together today. So whoever's in the sanctuary with me here today, I can't see if the leaders of our, our deacons here today, I'd like for them to help me here today if there's any. Uh, among us. I know Randy's out in the foyer today. If not, I'll, I'll go to, uh, there's Brother Paul today, and then I can get Jace and Joe maybe to help real quickly.